He is a Denver native born of Denver natives. A former Denver chief deputy district attorney, he is now an active Colorado trial lawyer. Bright, independent, and full of fun, he has been part of the media for decades. This is The Craig Silverman Show. What a world, what a life, what a day. Saturday, March 18, 2023, episode 140 is fantastic. Mike Rothschild is an expert on the subject of QAnon. He's written the book that chronicles it from the beginning and how it evolved, with QAnon taking a lead role in the January 6th insurrection. His book, The Storm is Upon Us, How QAnon Became a Movement, Cult, and Conspiracy Theory of Everything. Mike Rothschild is fascinating, as you are about to hear. So is Dave Gunders with his song, Impossible Happiness. He wrote it during the pandemic, and that's what really accelerated QAnon. People get lonely. People get desperate. It throws people out of whack. It throws organizations and countries out of alignment. America is that way right now. Look at the Colorado Republican Party. Just elected Dave Williams to be their leader. Dave, let's go Brandon Williams. Let's go Brandon being another way of saying fuck Joe Biden. That's not nice. Rod DeSantis says he doesn't want to engage with Trump. He's too busy fighting Joe Biden. You're governor of Florida. Why are you fighting with the president of the United States? It's outrageous. No wonder our enemies see weakness. No wonder people who are scared look for answers. The pandemic was scary, and that caused QAnon and its belief in no vaccines and Uh, The government's out to get you. It's Bill Gates and George Soros. Don't you know they love conspiracy theories? And a lot of it is a borrow, as you will soon hear. I'll tell you, a guy who never borrows lyrics or anything like that is our troubadour, Dave Gunders, who wrote a song during the pandemic called Impossible Happiness. It fits right in with this QAnon-related show. He and I have a great discussion after I talk with Mike Rothschild about how people go searching. And some go to religion, some go to cults. QAnon has all the answers, and their deity of a sort is Donald J. Trump. How messed up is that? But how real? His base is something else, unshakable. And now they appear to side with Putin over Ukraine and Zelensky, the Jewish guy. Who could have predicted that? There's a religious component. There's a big bigotry component, anti-Semitism all over the place. Hear it from the expert, Mike Rothschild. He's brilliant and a great interview. Enjoy. Gosh, 
It's hot in here. Did that toaster catch on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bagel. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. <laughs> now, part of that was serious, and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday, and if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want, and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887 or online at mblawllc.com. Now back to the Fred Silverman Show. Hey, being a lawyer is a matter of judgment. You have to know the law, the facts, but good judgment is essential. If you don't understand how Donald Trump is culpable for the crimes committed in his name, then I question your judgment. I have the good judgment to question Donald Trump. If you want a lawyer like that, instead of a knucklehead who believes in the MAGA propaganda, call Craig. 303-734-7156. 303-734-7156. I am Craig. Craig Silverman. A voice for victims. Hello? Hey, Mike. It's Craig. Hey, how are you? I am good now that I'm talking to you. I've been looking forward to this podcast interview. Thanks for doing my show. Oh, absolutely. I would introduce you as the foremost authority on QAnon. Your book, The Storm is Upon Us, How QAnon Became a Movement, Cult, and Conspiracy Theory of Everything. What a book. I read it cover to cover, and congratulations on your work. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. I also read your affidavit in the Colorado case, in fact, Denver District Court case of Coomer v. Trump et al., and I found that fascinating. And you are identified there as a QAnon expert in this important case about the big lie, and that's another reason I'm excited to talk to you. Yeah, that case has really been a journey. Uh, I've been working on it now for close to two years. Uh, I've written, I think, three statements so far. Two of them are two of them have come out. Uh, one is has not come out yet. Oh, something to look forward to. There are all sorts of Colorado connections to QAnon, and we will get to that. But among the very many reasons that I'm excited to talk to you is that uh, I'm a pretty old Jew now, and I've never really had a conversation with a Rothschild before. Well, yeah, you're, you're still not. Uh, I'm, uh, I am not related to the family. Uh, you know, I don't know if I would have um, chosen to go into debunking conspiracy theories with the last name of one of the most famous conspiracy theory targets in history, but, you know, sometimes you get chosen for these things. Um, it's, it's actually the subject of my next book that'll be coming out in September. Actually, I got chosen as part of the chosen people. I have a son who started asking me 
things about the Rothschilds, and I realized that I did not know that much. So I picked up a book, Nal Ferguson. Yes. And it is long, but it's teaching me quite a bit. Yeah, those uh, there's two books, um, and and they're both just really really fascinating. They get really into the the weeds of of banking and sort of oh how a lot of you know loans and bonds worked and the sort of the minutia of sort of what they made. And you know my book is not focused on that, but you know I try to tell kind of a more concise version of the Rothschild story. But it is one of those names that people know, but they don't really know why they know it, except that they're rich. I wanted to kind of strip back some of the myths about the family, kind of who they really are and how they're linked and and really not linked to all of these uh, seminal events in history. Right. And now they are resurrected by the most powerful person in the House of Representatives, Marjorie Taylor Greene. But we will get to that. We will get to that. (laughs) I don't know how much, Mike, you reveal about yourself. Because it occurs to me there might be threats against you. I hope not. But Q really doesn't like exposure. And do you talk about your background? Because I'm curious. You know, I talk about uh, the the sort of the Rothschild thing and how I'm not related to the family. But I definitely keep uh, the information about me pretty pretty close. Uh, you know, before the Q book came out, I did a, a scrub of anything that was out there about me or my family and you know, there's just things that I don't really need to talk about in interviews. You know, it's not it's not really relevant to what I do, but it's also, you know, it's it's one of the kind of easier things I can do to stay safe and sort of protect me and the people around me. I understand completely, and I respect that. What about the name Rothschild? I mean, what percentage of Rothschilds are related to that family? Very few. Um, there are a number of, of well-known people who have that last name. And as far as I know, none of them have any connection to the family. You know, Dorothy Parker's maiden name was Rothschild. Uh, and actually, she had an uncle who died on the Titanic. And of course, the ti- the sinking of the Titanic is one of those things that's connected to the Rothschild family because of the founding of the Federal Reserve, which, of course, all these conspiracy theorists think that the Rothschilds had a big part in that. And the Rothschilds had nothing to do with it. They, there was there were six people at the meeting that led to the founding of the Federal Reserve, and one of them was Jewish. The Rothschilds had no role in it whatsoever. But that name just carries so much baggage with it that anybody who has that name is going to be linked to all Things. But my family's genealogy, um, it, they're, you know, they're from a completely different part of Germany. And the Rothschilds, the, the banking Rothschilds, they never actually emigrated to the U.S. That's one of the things I talk about in the book is that for the Rothschilds, you know, their their wealth was European. They, they had palaces and railroads and all these things all over the place. None of the family wanted to go to New York. They, they had no interest in it. They thought it was a backwater, that it was too provincial. So a lot of Rothschild business in the U.S. was just handled by an employee of theirs who they'd sent to Cuba, I think, in, 19, or in 1837, who, who landed in New York and realized that the family had nobody representing them there. So he just kind of hung his own shingle up. It's a really interesting story in that the Rothschilds' representation in the U.S. is far outstripped by their representation in American conspiracy theories. I cannot wait for your book. It comes out in September, is that right? Yes, September 19th, and you can pre-order it now. And the cool thing about Ferguson's book, and there have been so many books written about the Rothschilds, they uh, they wrote it 
it all down, right? It's kind of like the Hamilton line. They wrote it all down. Uh, their yeah, correspondence yeah. is available for historians like yourself. Yeah, no, their archives are are pretty voluminous. And I didn't get access to the archives. I actually talked to their family archivist. And I asked her, you know, is there stuff about this? You know, do they talk about these myths and these theories? And she said they really didn't. So, uh, so a lot of the letters and the documents that Ferguson and other people have found and reprinted in their books, I was able to use some of that. But of course, all of those are the 21st century. I think Ferguson's books came out in 1998 and 99. So this whole other world of internet conspiracy theories has really never been written about in any kind of depth. And I was really excited to be able to do that. That's why we all look forward to your book. Is the best way to order it through your own website or how do you prefer? Um, if you want to get it through uh, through bookshop.org, I think is probably the, the best way to do it or your local bookstore. Uh, you know, certainly you can you can go to the big site if you want to. That's totally fine. But, you know, I really prefer to send people to the smaller publishers or the, the smaller book outlets. Now, the Rothschild name, I know for my last name, is Silverman. Probably about 99.9% .9 of your Silvermans are going to be Jewish. Is that true for Rothschild? I think so. Um, you know, it, it's a because it's a German name and so many German Jews emigrated at, during the diaspora, I would imagine. But I would imagine there's also probably a lot of uh, families who maybe used to be Jewish sure. or who, you know, married out of it. Um, but but it's definitely one of those names that that carries a lot of history with it. And I actually have a, a high school friend whose last name is Trump. And I, I can't imagine how difficult things have been for him. I bet. Right. That's, yeah. that's awful for him now. Because um, I, I'm not a fan of Donald Trump, but mm. uh, QAnon makes up for me. And uh, as you point out, up to, what, 22 million? And then it's international. We're, we're going to get to all of that. But I'm coming at this. From about three perspectives, as a Jewish guy, as a Colorado guy, and as an old radio guy, and still a broadcaster, mm. and I'm thinking about Colorado radio and how KOA yep. started putting on Art Bell at night, coast to coast, and I thought, what the hell is this? Who, who, likes, <laughs> who likes this kind of crap? And it turns out some people do, right? Yeah, and I actually loved Art Bell. You know, I, that was kind of my first introduction to the world of conspiracy theories and the paranormal was Art Bell in college. And I, you know, I'd put it on while I was working on stuff late at night, and I, I loved it. I didn't believe any of it. You know, I didn't think it was real. But his, you know, his guests and the callers that he had on, you know, they they opened up a door to this world that I knew nothing about and that nobody I knew talked about. You know, the UFOs and Bigfoot and crop circles and the face on Mars. That wasn't stuff people talked about. That was the domain of crazy people. You know, maybe somebody in your family was a, like a JFK truther. But, you know, even that was kind of harmless. It, it just wasn't something that was really talked about in polite society. But I really admired the way Bell handled callers who were, you know, clearly struggling and maybe not completely tethered to reality. Because I think it is very easy, and it's still very easy to, to just dismiss these people. Just call them crazy, just make fun of them, call them stupid. And, you know, some of them, especially the, the major influencers, you know, I have no problem 
letting loose on those people. But a lot of people really do believe these things and, and gravitate toward them because they're looking for answers. They're looking for explanations. They're looking for why is the world the way it is? Why, why are these things happening? The conspiracy theories and myths provide that in, in abundance. It just seemed to me so fake. I'm a trial lawyer. Show me evidence. And what bothered me is that these people did buy it, and these experts were selling their bull crap, probably to profit off of it. And I, you know, it felt like all star wrestling to me. And, you know, maybe when I was five or six years old and I thought that was real, it was kind of fascinating. And then I got a little older and Okay, it's kind of fake, but it's fun. But then some people believe in that crap, right? It, it's, have you thought about wrestling as sort of a predicate to all of this, too? Oh, sure. There's a big aspect of that, especially with you know the modern political situation where you have this performance aspect. You know, my my stance really has always been with these things, and and really even somewhat with QAnon, is that if you believe in this and it is not hurting you and it's not hurting other people and it's not uh derailing your life you, you know you're not spending all your money on it you haven't quit your job because of it if it's just something you believe because it's interesting to you that's not something that really concerns me or that i want to spend a lot of time debunking there's just not there's not much to gain from it but where you do run into problems is with people who really do rewire themselves um, you know, who, who do hurt people, who hurt other people themselves, quit their jobs, you know, quit their lives and, and become completely devoted to all of this. And that really is where skepticism and fact checking and debunking, I think, can make a difference. And not not just for the person who believes it, but for their family members and for their loved ones who are really struggling with getting through to this person and trying to figure out what happened to them. How did they get to this place? And I think that's not most people that, you know, that's not going to be your average person who picks up, uh, you know, sort of a classic conspiracy book. But that is going to be some people. And unfortunately, I think it's more and more people now than it was even just 10 or 15 years ago. Right. And it's a confluence of circumstances, including the Internet and COVID and all of that. It was fascinating to me to see the evolution and to, to break it down. It went from an obscure website full of pornography and neo-Nazi crap to another uh, variation of that, and then it made it to Reddit. But it really took off when it hit Facebook because of older people passing along these theories. And that kind of startled me in your book, that Facebook became... Uh, a real takeoff point. Yeah, Facebook was a real flashpoint for for QAnon because most of the people who are who are buying into this stuff, they're not on 4chan. Um, that's you know, most people have never heard of it, don't know what it is. They're not on Reddit. They're probably not even on Twitter, but they're definitely on Facebook. And you have a lot of older Americans who are not always the best at discerning uh, real things from fake things. And so when a fake story hits their Facebook feed, they go, oh, well, that sounds like it could be true. And they don't read it. And maybe they just share it because they want it to be true. Or maybe it's a, you know an unflattering story about the Clintons or George Soros or Obama. That's somebody they already don't like. So you think, well, that you know I already don't like that person. Why wouldn't they be involved in this? And that's really how these things spread is just 
uh, it's just wanting them to be true and, and not bothering to look at, well, does this story make sense? Does this fit with the way the world works as I know it? Did I run this by anybody else? You just share it and you don't even think about it because you think, oh, that that sounds like it could be true and therefore it's true. And people are increasingly isolated. But one thing that gets through, especially to baby boomers, is talk radio. And I came from that world. And I have to say that to me, the standards have gone down greatly. I was on the air after 9-11. And there were truthers out there in the world. But we never let them have a say on the radio because it was just bullshit and we didn't like it, and it seemed disrespectful. Do you know what I mean? How that was kind of shunted aside, but with the internet, nothing can really be shut down. So so do you think talk radio has played a part in this? I do. Oh, oh absolutely. I think the you talk radio is actually something that I think has been a little bit forgotten about by younger journalists and younger researchers, we think, oh, that's just the domain of old people. Uh, you know, I'm a cord cutter. I get all my news from from Twitter. I listen to podcasts. That's not most people. Most people still flip on the radio when they're in their car. Most people are still watching Fox News. Most people are still getting their news from these major TV and radio and print outlets. And what you have now is an increasing polarization, an increasing reliance on conspiracy theories. And you have people who are on the radio or on TV talking to millions of people, and they are blasting out the most bizarre, most ridiculous stuff about voting machines, about the COVID vaccine, about Obama, about Joe Biden, about, you know, wokeness. And they're, they're getting this, this information from their, from their news bubble and nothing is getting in. You know, they're in this completely hermetically sealed environment where everything they listen to, everything they see reinforces the, thing they, the things they already believe. And of course, they don't want to talk to anybody who doesn't believe those things. And probably the people who don't believe those things don't want to talk to them anymore either. So we're all walling ourselves off. And unfortunately, a lot of people are doing it with this constant blaring of extremism and conspiracy theories. Yes, and we've seen what extremism can do. In Denver radio history, we had Allen Berg murdered the summer of 1984 by neo-Nazis, the order. And sure. one of his colleagues, a guy named Peter Boyles, who I worked with a lot, uh, he since went on to be a big Trumper. Now, he's backed away in light of the lawsuits that are flying around, but this is something that he got involved in, and it's one of his major claims to fame, is birtherism. If you had a top 10 of birther uh, advocates in America, Peter Balls would have been up there and Donald Trump would have been too. And then another guy in your book named Jerome Corsi, sure. who was a frequent guest of Peter Boyle's. Tell us about the role of birtherism and how it led to QAnon. It's huge. Uh, the, the birther movement, I think, is still almost underappreciated in terms of its role in the modern conspiracy landscape, because it was, again, it was one of those things where as Obama's presidential campaign was picking up steam, you started to have these people like Corsi who were talking about, oh, you know, we don't know where he's from. He's, he's secretly a Muslim. You know, nobody, you know, nobody knew him in Hawaii, you know, all this stuff about him. 
And this is normally stuff that would have been fodder for Lyndon LaRouche pamphlets that would have been fodder for, you know, late night shortwave radio shows, you know, not even Art Bell. I mean, it was way more fringe than that. But because the Internet was able to grab these things, they started to get passed around. And I think a lot of people were really afraid of a black president, a president whose name was Barack, who had the middle name of Hussein. There was a there was a huge amount of racism and a huge amount of just generalized distrust for him. And he had a lot of really radical sounding economic proposals. They weren't really that radical. But when you are a conservative, you're used to nothing but white men in the presidency. You get scared when that's about to change. So this birtherism idea became very lucrative. And of course, Donald Trump really jumped on that. Donald Trump had no uh, political experience. His ideas as a potential presidential candidate were completely ridiculous, stuff he was never going to be able to do. But he jumped onto the birth certificate and he was able to mine that for years. You know, the, the birth certificate stuff with him started in, I think, 2011 or 2012, way before he announced he was running. But he was able to build up a lot of credibility on the far right and in these conspiracy communities by hammering the birth certificate issue and just asking questions and getting people to talk about him. And that really propelled him, I think, to the very top of that really crowded Republican field was he'd already nailed down the conspiracy theorist vote. And my basic point is that truthers who said, hey, there was a secret plot, there's Building 7, that was not tolerated on talk radio airwaves, but birtherism was. And to me, I didn't engage in it because I thought, where is this leading? I mean, Barack Obama is our president. He grew up in Hawaii. His mother was an American citizen. It really wouldn't even matter. And his name was in the birth announcements in Hawaii. So what a conspiracy theory that would have to be. It just didn't make any sense to me. You know, there are snippets of this, snippets of that. But one of the telltales is if people call him Barack Hussein Obama, right. emphasizing the Hussein, and that's something that uh, QAnon has picked up on, right? Yeah, yeah. In the Q drops, they would they would actually call Obama Hussein. They would literally just call him by his middle name. Uh, you know, you see, you saw that all the time. You know, I, I remember uh, listening to a lot of right wing talk radio around the time of Obama's election, and like. The hosts would always, they, they would mangle Barack and they would mangle Obama, but they always got Hussein right. Uh, you know, weird, weird how they did that. And they're still doing it. You know, you can still now hear Republicans just to this day, you know, make sure to go out of their way to call him Barack Hussein o Obama. Like, we know what his middle name is, guys. He hasn't been the president in five or six and a half years. Like, I think we can move on from that. But there's a certain percentage of the population that is just absolutely devoted to him not being an American citizen. And it's it's frightening how that's taken hold in our society. Right. The main QAnon culprit, in my mind, and we can get to yours, but it's Donald Trump. I'm not sure he started it, but he certainly has glommed onto it. And the guy has that wrestling background. He's even staged some wrestling things with Vince McMahon for money, and it was fake, but they made it look real. And then I've always felt that Donald Trump wanted to be a talk radio host, like uh, Rush Limbaugh, who he gave the Medal of Freedom to. Limbaugh was critical in all of this, wasn't he? 
Yeah, Limbaugh was a huge part of legitimizing Trump. And, and talk radio in general was. You know, you had uh, people like Hugh Hewitt and Michael Savage you know, giving this guy just endless amounts of airtime. You know, besides all of the free airtime he got from Fox right, News. Right, but even before him, they were calling Obama Barack Hussein Obama. Oh, sure, right. sure. Yes. Sure, he, he picked up on those ideas that had been around since Obama first entered public life. And of course, these were the same people who mm -hmm. had spent the decade and a half before that hammering the Clintons. You know, the the Clinton uh, conspiracy industry has had been going for 35 years when she ran for president in 2016. All of that was completely engineered to take down the Clintons. And, and you know, they they hated Bill, but they hated her even more. They really reserved the majority of their hate for Hillary Clinton. It was just this irrational loathing. And, you know, of course, Trump was like the one guy that the that the far right or even sort of the centrist right would get behind because it's like, oh, they don't really like him, but they hate Hillary. So anything's better than Hillary. So they'll just get behind this guy. And then after a while, you start to like him. You start to agree with him. You start to think of him as the guy who says the things that the rest of us are just thinking and the guy who doesn't need Washington money because he's an outsider. I mean, he's as inside as you get. But, you, you know, you stop caring about those things after a while. So, yeah, this this talk radio conspiracy complex was a huge part of what what propelled Trump and what propelled QAnon. Right. And he acts like that and he talks like that. And somewhere along the way, he started speaking in obvious QAnon code. I don't know if somebody told him to do it, but he likes people who love him. And boy, does QAnon love Donald Trump. He's their demigod, right? It's, 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 uh, you argue it might be a psyop, it might be a religion, it might be a cult, but whatever it is, at the head of it is Donald Trump, and he can do no wrong with QAnon. Am I right? Sure. And and it was uh, you know it was very interesting to watch these conspiracy theorists get behind Trump in a way that the. Uh, you know, the traditional sort of far right anti-government extreme never got behind the president before that. You know, if you look at the the role of the federal government in sort of 90s and, you know, 9-11 conspiracy theories, they were always the enemy. And then suddenly all these people are getting behind Trump as this messianic figure who is, you know, who's the only one who can fix it. Now, these these were people who thought George H.W. Bush ran the New World Order. And now suddenly they're, they love Trump. They love the president. It's an inversion of everything that these people believed in. And Trump really was the guy who was able to do that. He had the charisma. He had the background. He had the entertainment experience. He was a, he was a very good speaker. He was interesting to watch. He was funny. You know, I, I remember watching that first debate in, in summer 2015. And the first, I think it was Megyn Kelly, who asked him something. And he, he starts cracking jokes about Rosie O'Donnell. Right. And I'm going, oh, he's going to win. He's he's doing something that nobody else is doing. Mm -hmm. He's funny. He's appealing. And then that curdles into an almost cult-like worship, and movements like QAnon take advantage of that. And then Trump takes advantage of that, and he realizes sure. he has an opportunity, and then he makes that cryptic statement with all the military around him. Yeah. This is the calm before the storm. Tell everybody about that. Sure. So this is early October of 2017. And Trump, you know, we're, we're sort of used to him 
saying things that don't really mean anything and that don't make any sense. And he's, uh, he's having a dinner with uh, military officers and their spouses. And, you know, they're doing a photo op and everybody's kind of dressed up and they're in their dress uniforms and they're, just, they're taking pictures. And then he suddenly calls the press in and the press comes in and he starts saying, this could be the calm before the storm. And he's, he's very calm. He's very placid about it. And people are asking him, what's the storm, Mr. President? What storm? He keeps saying, you'll find out. You'll find out. And I remember that day, everybody's going crazy. What's he talking about? Is there going to be, you know, is this war with Iran? Is this war with North Korea? Are we sending troops to Syria? The next day, you know, people are asking his cabinet. They're asking Mike Pence. They're asking the White House. Nobody knows what he's talking about. And we still don't know what he was talking about. It, you know, nobody has ever gotten down to what he actually meant when he said that. But it doesn't really matter because he said so much that just didn't mean anything. It was just nonsensical. But this conspiracy movement starts growing on 4chan, that this was a secret code that meant there was going to going to be this great military operation that swept up all of the bad people. And of course, you know, public enemy number one of these people is Hillary Clinton, and she's the subject of the first Q drop. And so you have and this... And so what, this, what was the date of that? Trump's cryptic statement was October 2017. When was the first Q drop? And what was its connection with the military? Sure. So the, the, the Trump statement, I want to say it was October 5th or 6th. And then the first Q drop was the 27th. So it was about three weeks later. And that first drop was actually a response to somebody else. You know, again, just another anonymous figure who said something about Hillary Clinton is going to get arrested. And Q writes, Hillary Clinton's passport has been flagged. She's going to be extradited on the 4th. Uh, the National Guard is going to be called up to quell the riots. POTUS has this all under control. And then this this steady stream of posts starts coming out over the next few days, starting to fill in the details of this story. Uh, that there's going to be these mass arrests and that there's going to be troops in the streets and the president is going to be running the whole thing on Twitter. And there's, there's these secret patriots in the government who are doing all of this. And a lot of this, I think, was timed to the some of these conspiracy theories about there being an Antifa uprising on November 4th. And that all, you know, all these Antifa people were going to go door to door, you know, grabbing Trump believers. It was all ridiculous. But I think enough people in that world believed that this was going to happen so that, oh, they'd see the troops in the streets who were there to stop Antifa and they would go, oh, the the, the arrests are here. So all of it was actually a, a fairly well-told and well-paced techno-thriller kind of story. And I think it really grabbed a lot of people who were really just desperate for something to happen to Hillary and Barack Obama and George Soros and all their allies. It's sort of Tom Clancy-esque, though, because Q and the people who are supposedly supplying all these digital researchers, these Q-drops, are a bunch of military guys who are... Uh, deep in the government and that's the only way they can release their information yeah there's this whole mythology that starts that the 
the Q clearance Patriot team is half a dozen military intelligence officials and generals, and they're plotting this this secret, you know, mass arrests, and it can't be revealed online. But the the team needs Patriots to be ready for it and to help get the word out. And so they're using 4chan to can you know to communicate in these really cryptic codes and pronouncements. The, I, the whole thing is just ridiculous. It's that's not that's not how anything works. But when you are desperate for something to happen and somebody starts telling you a really cool story about how this thing is going to happen, I I think there's a part of you that just sets common sense aside because you just want it to happen. And and you're just you're just so desperate to believe that you will you'll swallow just about anything. I'll tell you a line that I started hearing on talk radio during Trump times and I'd never heard it before. The deep state. And now anybody who talks about the deep state, I have to shake my head. Where did that come from and how big a part of QAnon is that? So the that term, the deep state, it actually has a real meaning. It's actually, a, it's not even American. It was the name given by the Turkish media to this uh, confluence of government officials and organized crime and the press that was uncovered by you know, corruption investigations. But it was taken by a lot of these people, you know, people like Steve Bannon, who uh, sort of uh, turned its meaning around to mean the, uh, the just the government, the administrative state, you know, the, the bureaucrats who run everything. But really, that term, the deep state, it doesn't represent anything that hasn't been talked about in conspiracy theories before. You know, it, there's always been a, a secretive, shadowy group who is the real power behind things. You know, you could call it the New World Order or the Illuminati or the, the Council on Foreign Relations. You know, a lot of the books I read for the, for my new book were talking about it in uh, sort of early 20th century terms. They'd call it the insiders or the hidden hand or the, the super government. There's what, always what, be- what about the World Economic Forum as is that a QAnon thing? That's not so much a QAnon thing. I mean, the, the World Economic Forum is real, and it's been run by this guy, Klaus Schwab, for right. decades now. But the idea of the World Economic Forum sort of profiting off COVID-19 is, is, a, is obviously a much more recent thing based on Klaus Schwab's book called The Great Reset. And what that book is actually about is how COVID and the lockdown is really an opportunity to change our our economy and how, you know, how money is basically trickled to the very top. But of course, people are looking at this, oh, we're going to reset society and we're going to take all your property away and we're going to make you eat bugs and live in, you know, Soviet style apartment blocks. You know, again, it's just the same stuff as Agenda 21 or or any any number of anti-communist conspiracy theories. But this stuff works. It sells books. It sells podcast subscriptions. And there's always going to be people afraid of uh, you know, jackbooted thugs and their bureaucratic leaders who are going to take freedom away from them. It's it's the easiest thing to exploit. I think the deep state has been exaggerated just for the purposes of MAGA and authoritarianism. And I feel that way about Antifa, especially two weeks ago. I had Trevor Aronson on and he showed how the FBI during Trump time infiltrated uh, some racial justice protests in Colorado with a white guy who stirred things up, agent provocateur, making Antifa much more than it really was. It, Antifa, how does it figure into QAnon? Isn't that one of the big boogeymen? And 
did they exaggerate it? Oh, yeah, it's hugely exaggerated. It, you know, Antifa is not a it's not an organization. It's not like there's a you know president and bylaws. It, that's not the way it is. It's a lot of very local activists who, who really are mostly focused on unmasking a lot of extremists and neo-Nazis. Uh, but but there is this this theory on the right that there's this organized Soros funded group of far leftists and they're the ones burning down the cities and they're the violent ones and it's it's just classic scapegoating. I'll tell you, it's uh, you'd laugh if it wasn't so serious. And and the other serious thing is, while Facebook was a culprit, we've identified. No social media has been as impactful as Twitter. I'm on Twitter. I see what's going on. I don't necessarily get them in my feed. But boy, did they get popular fast, including the chief QAnon guy, Donald Trump. And it got to the point where, for the good of the country, it had to get taken down after January 6th. Yet now, everybody's restored under Elon Musk. We will go back to January 6th, but... Elon Musk and Twitter. Talk about Twitter and QAnon, where we were, what it was like when uh, after January 6th, and what it's like today. Sure. Well, Twitter was a huge part of QAnon's growth. Uh, and it was actually Reddit who banned QAnon fairly quickly um, after a, a QAnon uh Reddit thread doxed somebody who they thought was a mass shooter. And Reddit just kicked them off. They didn't want anything to do with it. But these these uh, QAnon influencers on Twitter had enormous followings. You know, some of these figures I write about in the book, these people like In the Matrix and Jordan Sather, they had hundreds of thousands of followers at huge followings. They would tweet out these, these decoding threads, you know, looking at Q drops or videos or memes. They'd get, they'd get thousands of retweets right away. And of course, Q didn't post drops on Twitter, but Q uh, would include tweets in their posts all the time. Uh, and and a, any Q believer who got spotlighted in a Q drop would immediately get thousands of replies of, of, of love bombing QAnon believers saying Q, you know, Q sent me, you know, where to, way to go, patriot, stuff like that. You know, that kind of self-reinforcing group hug almost. And so Q's presence on Twitter was enormous, and Twitter just did nothing about it for quite some time. The, the first real crackdown on QAnon wasn't until July 2020. There had already been multiple murders, numerous crimes, you know, a huge amount of anti-Semitic and racist material. And they finally really cracked down after January 6th. And then, of course, Musk has since then let, let almost all of these people back on, uh, and you know, obviously including Trump. And Trump hasn't tweeted yet. But so many other major QAnon conspiracy promoters are back on Twitter, and it's like nothing's changed. And the other big form is YouTube, owned by Google. Some people who interpret Q drops, and that terminology may sound strange if you haven't read the book, but over time, there have been as many Q drops. What did you say? More words than the New Testament, right? And something like, yeah. Yeah. And, and so and so people have YouTube channels interpreting Q drops and they get a lot of followers or they did till they got taken down. Explain how people monetize this. Oh, sure. They would film themselves reading Q drops and talking about what they could possibly mean. And then they would make 
videos, these, you know, very slick productions, uh, you know, pimping the tenants of QAnon and talking about conspiracy theories. And these, these videos were often very well made. They were often very short or broken up into smaller parts. They got millions of views in some cases. And of course, you know, you, you monetize this stuff with ads and you sell merchandise through it. And, you know, there was a real ecosystem of promoters who basically turned QAnon into their careers. And for a while there, it included Jerome Corsi and that scum of the earth, Alex Jones, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. And Alex Jones and InfoWars were a huge part of early Q. You know, it was just a couple months after the first Q drops that a couple of the big QAnon evangelists went on InfoWars. They didn't talk to Alex, but they were they were on that network and they got a ton of press out of that. They got a ton of new believers. Alex was a big believer in Q. He would have Jerome Corsi on and then they would... They would talk about the, the drops and what Q was doing. And, of course, Alex claimed, oh, you know, I know everybody involved with Q. You know, I, all of this stuff is real. They, you know, I know all the sources. Of course, Alex turned against QAnon and tried to create his own QAnon uh, with this other guy named Zach who claimed to be a government insider. I don't get into this in the book. It's just, it's just too much. It's too into the weeds. But, you know, Alex really did turn against Q because Q was getting too popular. And he, he really believed that this was something that was going to replace him. And he turned against it, and then he would every so often he'll talk about Q, like, oh, he's going to expose it today. He's going to finally reveal who who it was. Of course, he never does because he doesn't know. But he he yeah he jumped in on this grift just as much as a lot of other people did. Holy cow! What a grift! And I'd say I loved your whole book, but the chapter where you talked about how they borrowed everything. Everything is a ripoff from a prior conspiracy theory, a prior con job, and it all kind of works together. And it starts with the protocols of the elders of Zion, a Russian conspiracy theory against Jewish people. Tell everybody about how that gets woven into QAnon. Sure. So the the protocols are the uh, early 20th century document that purports to be the the minutes of the meeting of the you know basically the old Zionists who run the world, and it was debunked very quickly as a forgery. You know we know exactly what the sources were for it, but it is one of those things that did the sort of early 20th century version of going viral. It was a huge hit in uh, in Europe and you know in Germany and France. It was translated into English. It, it was printed by Henry Ford. It was pushed by very well known British fascists. It became really popular in uh, the Middle East, in Asia. It's hugely popular in Japan. And the idea of this cabal of Zionists who run the world is very similar to QAnon's idea of the deep state. Uh, you know, this is a document that's been repurposed by dozens of different writers. It's been adapted. It's been repackaged. And there's very little in QAnon that you really can't find with some link to the ideas espoused either by the protocols or by some of the offshoot works of it. Right. But uh, in the protocols, our people need uh, the blood of uh, little Gentile children in order to survive and then I get a kick out of QAnon and the substance that needs to be extracted from little kids who are victims of pedophilia. And, you know, that adds a Colorado connection, too, because author Hunter S. Thompson sure. lived in Woody Creek, Colorado. Tell everybody how they borrowed something from Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas to turn it into QAnon gospel. 
Sure. So there was this this idea of these trafficking rings and the, you know, these pedophiles who are doing horrible things to children. And then at some point, the idea of this substance called adrenochrome gets attached to this. Now, what's interesting, I, I talk about this in the book, is that's never actually mentioned by Q themselves. Q never mentions adrenochrome. That came from other Q believers and other Q promoters. Um so this idea kind of got woven into QAnon, and adrenochrome is supposedly this substance that's attracted, extracted from the adrenal glands of terrified children, and it's this incredible super drug, and it gives you know gives you you know special powers and eternal youth. The whole idea was taken from Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. And Hunter S. Thompson writes about adrenochrome as like the ultimate drug, and you can only get it from a living person. And he 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 talked about it later. He said, "Yeah, I made it up. You know, I just I, you know I just it, it just I or he found it somewhere. You know, Aldous Huxley talks about it too. There you know there are all these references to to adrenochrome as this kind of super drug. And there have been people who have actually tried to take it, and it just like gives them a headache." It's a it's a real substance. It's used as a I think as a clotting agent. You can buy it online. There's nothing mysterious about it. It it's just one of those things that people take it, and it sounds kind of weird. And then they apply their own meaning to it. And if you do it right, and if you do enough of it, it'll it'll really take off. God bless Hunter S. Thompson because before he committed suicide, he told the truth that it was all a bit of a con. Another guy who told the truth was Tucker Carlson, right? In those text messages, he he knew the truth was Trump lost, but he wanted his audience to believe something else. And now this guy seems to be the king of QAnon because he spent his whole week with those January 6th videos rehabilitating the QAnon shaman. Do you think that was a coincidence? What did you make of that? Well, you, you know, it's with these Tucker text messages in the uh, in the Dominion documents. You know, th- none of them believed this was real. They all knew that Trump lost. They or or they came around to it fairly quickly. These you know these people are not stupid. You know, you don't get to the very top of the pyramid by being an idiot. They knew that people were going to go for this. They knew it was easy money to mine this, and they went with it. And they thought, well, it could be true. You know, may, you know, maybe there was some fraud and we can run with that. And so it's it's not at all surprising somebody like Tucker Carlson would be poo-pooing this while at the same time talking about all the fraud and all, you know, how Biden stole the election and then rehabilitating all of these Q figures by looking at a very, very small, selectively chosen bit of footage that in reality had been public before. Everybody knew what had happened here. But they they know that it will drive outrage. They they know that it will drive this idea that none of these people did anything wrong. They were just tourists. And it was really Antifa and BLM who were the real violent ones. It's nonsense, but it's the kind of nonsense that's really easy to sell. Right. And it will really please their audience. And you make the point that there are probably about 22 million Q-friendly people in America. And if that many people watch your show then you've got a hit. And it just seems to me that the people being championed by Tucker Carlson right now are all QAnon affiliated. He's rehabilitating the two most famous QAnon participants of uh, Insurrection Day, the shaman Jacob Chansley and Ashley Babbitt. And they're making a hero out of her. 
And then uh, the other star is Marjorie Taylor Greene, who apparently tells Tucker Carlson and Kevin McCarthy what to do. And uh, to me, Fox News has kind of turned into QAnon TV. Yeah, and it's the it really illustrates the degree to which these conspiracy theories have become mainstream. You know, they don't spend a lot of time talking about Q itself, or if they do, it's, oh, it's harmless. What's wrong with asking questions? These people are just patriots. You know, why aren't you patriotic like them? But really, these conspiracy theories are so part of the conservative orthodoxy that if you want to succeed in that world, you have to buy into them. You have to still maintain the fiction that the election was stolen. You have to still maintain the fiction that the COVID vaccine is harmful. If you don't do that, you're going to get replaced. You're going to get kicked off the air. Nobody nobody in that world wants to see that. So if you want to keep your job, you want to keep your audience, you want to keep your grift going, you got to just go with it. And now you have to maintain that fiction that January 6th wasn't a big deal. Right. And that it was just some peaceful protesters and like there wasn't really any violence and that was all they were all plants. I mean, we we know what happened. We saw it. Right, we but, but, it. it is another current QAnon orthodoxy because you kind of leave me. Your book was finished one a year ago or more. And oh more. More right, yeah. right. So now I think part of QAnon orthodoxy may be to slam Volodymyr Zelensky in Ukraine and to turn against that were the enterprise to save democracy and somehow to be on Putin's side. Am I wrong? No, that's that's exactly it. These people, uh, they venerate Vladimir Putin. They think he's strong. They think he's anti-woke. You know, he stands up for traditional Western values. They think Zelensky is corrupt. He's a Biden puppet, that he's a Nazi. I mean, you know, never mind that he's Jewish. It, it's, it is an inversion of classic conservatism where these people you know, this was the party not long ago that was like you could never spend enough money to defend yourself against the soviet union you know now never are, now, are you talking about the gop or QAnon, or is it one and the same now well they're really one and the same i mean the the gop now you know a lot of these politicians who are very just clearly pro-putin you know their party was was the most anti-soviet you could possibly be. And of course, Putin is nothing if not an old Soviet, he's an old KGB officer. So the, this inversion to uh, the, this kind of support for Russia, the support of this anti-democratic, anti-Western agenda, it, it's really just baffling to watch this happen, to watch this 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 way of life of, of American conservatism just completely turn itself inside out. Now, in fairness, there was a wing of the Republican Party. Pat Buchanan embodied it with his anti-Semitism, his isolationism. Sure. So I know radio hosts like Peter Boyles, who won fan birtherism, and he's also anti-Ukraine, anti-Zelensky. But I had partners on the radio Dan Kaplis, George Brockler, they might not mean anything to you, but they were stalwarts for a strong America militarily taking on Russia. And now they don't know what to say. You know what I mean? It's like Sean Hannity. I don't watch him very much, but how is he walking this line? Or Lindsey Graham, he doesn't know what to do now, does he? Yeah, you have a lot of Republicans who are really dancing on a tightrope because, you know, they really should be supporting Ukraine. They should be supporting 
money going to Ukraine, because that's really going to be the way that we get Putin out of Russia. It's, it's not going to be anything that the U.S. does. It's going to be what Ukraine does. It's going to be defeating Russia in the field and, and sort of you know, forcing the Russian people to reckon with what Putin has done to them. Right. But they, but they are so enthralled to Trump and Trump is enthralled to Putin. Yeah. So they just they, they don't know what to do with themselves. So they just end up kind of, you know, talking about things that don't matter. I think a lot of this stuff that's going on with the culture wars, you know, all this hubbub about gas stoves and high school sports. It's it is a way for these people to not talk about their support for Trump and their support for Putin. Right. And there are so many off-limit topics that they are afraid of. And I, I I loved when you said there's a difference between a conspiracy theory and a conspiracy. I was prosecuted for 16 years, and I convicted a lot of people of conspiracy. It's a civil concept as well. And I don't much believe in conspiracy theories. It's only later that I realize how dangerous they are, how tied to anti-Semitism they can be. Your book taught me that. Bari Wise, she's interesting, but her former book about anti-Semitism just showed me the dangers of conspiracy theories. You're writing a book on the Rothschilds. Talk about your conspiracy theory causing problems, but, but, but... I I just uh, I myself think that something is going on between Putin and Trump, and that Putin is the lead dog. Trump is obligated to Putin. I can see it now. Is that a conspiracy theory, or is that just me observing Helsinki and what's going on in the world? Well, I think there there certainly is something going on there, and I and I think you're right. I think. Trump is definitely in thrall to Putin. You know, whether that's like compromising information or money, I don't I don't know. But there is a, an attitude that I think Trump wants that Putin has. And I, I think it could really be as simple as that, is that Trump looks at Putin as the guy he wants to be. And Putin, you can say a lot of things about, but he's really good at being a dictator. And repressing uh, any opposition to him. Yeah, he's Trump a monster. is not good at that. Right. He's a mobster. He's a mob guy and he's a KGB guy. Right. It's a ba- it's a bad combination for yes. the people of Russia. Trump is not that. Trump is a, 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 is a is an empty suit. In right. a lot and of nobody ways. has got mobster tendencies. He's got Tony Soprano type qualities. You could see him being a, a junior mafia leader. Sure. Putin. Sure, but he's never going to be the senior guy. Right. He's never going to be. Right. He's never going to be the capo. And, and that's why. That's why I worry that Putin has taken over QAnon and the Russian intelligence services. Whoever started it, and we can get into Ron Watkins, all that. But isn't it Putin's puppy now? Well, I think the the right the American right is very aligned with what. Putin and with what sort of, you know, authoritarians around the world really want. You know, they, they, I think they, they love Kim Jong-un. They, you know, they love a strong figure who stands up for the, the uh, values of their country. And of course, you know, we, we push these conspiracy theories over and over generation after generation. And it's the same stuff. It's all rooted in very old and very durable tropes. And I think, you know, I don't know that it's Russian intelligence, you know, controlling the American right. I think they're just aligned. I think they want the same things. And then they mutually support each other. 
Right, but they do pay people to influence social media. That was proven by the Mueller report, sure. right? And and the other sure. thing that uh, Kim Jong-un doesn't have that Putin has is a cross around his neck. And a lot of people in QAnon are religious and they like what they consider to be the Christianity of Vlad Putin and even what I, I think they think Trump's a true Christian, too. Am I right? Yeah. They, oh, totally. And they, they think that Putin is restoring traditional Western values of you know, marriage being a man and a woman and you know children should be raised by the women at home and all of this stuff that you know, these the sort of trad movements in America have always been part of, but it's, it was never, you know, it's never been quite so acceptable as it is now. And of course, you have all this panic over trans rights and wokeness. And it's just, it is, it is very easy to exploit the fear of change, the fear of your way of life being taken away from you. You know, so much of, of this and so much of make America great again is just, you know, I can't live the way I grew up living. I can't go to church the way I used to. I can't tell the same jokes I used to tell. Uh, they want me to use different words for certain things. Now they're saying, oh, boys can be girls and girls can be boys. I don't like that kind of change. I want it to go back to the way it was before. And authoritarian movements exploit that ruthlessly. Yes, they do. And what about Christianity? Does it play a role? I loved it when you broke down the statistics and have they changed? Your book said 27% of evangelicals are down with QAnon. Has that gone up or down? Do you know? You know, I, I don't know if there's any more recent polling on QAnon, but I mean, you can certainly see the influence of the evangelical movement on the anti-vaccine movement, on the stolen election movement. You know, there's a lot of pastors who are really afraid to talk about any of this stuff, who are afraid to advocate for vaccinations or masking are afraid to say who the real president is because their movements are so caught up in conspiracy theories. So I don't know what the current percentage of QAnon belief is, but it's almost beside the point because these theories are now so embedded into American life. And it really is uh, a kind of opium. That's a term you use. Love that. People hmm. are scared and they need opium. It's kind of a play on religion being the opium of the masses. Sure. And I, I, I'm trying to figure out the Colorado people, and occasionally I wonder, do they really believe this? Let's talk about Lauren Boebert. Sure. It, it, you write about her in the book. She's become powerful. Is she Q? Well, she was. You know, she definitely has endorsed it. She's talked about it positively. You know, what she has done since then is she's walked it back. Oh, I don't know anything about that. That doesn't, you know, I'm not one of those people. And that's very common in QAnon. It's very common in conspiracy movements in general. You say, well, I'm not one of those crazy Q people. I don't believe that a you know pedophile trafficking ring runs the world. I don't read Q drops. But, you know, Biden's a fake president and the vaccine will kill you. And, yeah, pedophiles probably do run the world. So you end up espousing all of the same tenets. You just don't talk about it as Q because then it's really easy to use that against you. And I think somebody like Lauren Boebert is very cagey and, and, and good at, at sort of manipulating social media to do that. Right. She had her GED degree and she passed it after a few tries. So she's pretty darn smart. Another person <laughs> I know kind of well because she knocked around Denver radio. Now she's still got a big Salem podcast. She gets paid by 
MAGA interest, Jenna Ellis. She just Just got disciplined uh, with a big slap on the wrist, public censure by the Colorado Supreme Court. And I'm trying to figure out, well, she's evangelical. She was homeschooled. She went to uh, a different kind of law school. Anyway, um, is she a true believer, I wonder? She used to hate Trump. Then again, I think she's in it for the money. Yeah, I think it it could be both. You know, with a lot of these people, they they're certainly in it for the money, for the career boost. But you come to believe it. You if you spend enough time in this world, it really does start to take over, and you start to think, well, why couldn't this be true? It, it's very hard to fake this kind of belief. People will uh, will see through it. You know, and that that doesn't mean that they're going to go all the way with it. You know, I think Tucker Carlson believes in a lot of what he talks about, even if he knows that Trump lost the election. Right. I think he still believes enough of it to talk about it convincingly. And I think somebody like Jenna Ellis goes down the same path. Does she believe every single aspect of every single thing she talks about? Probably not. But I think she believes enough of it to have convinced herself that she should be talking about it and she should be making a career out of it. Right. And I think part of it is the pushback. You know, I worked at Salem and I got to know Hugh Hewitt, who also lived in Colorado for a while. He used to back Mitt Romney big time, even wrote a book about him. And then you have Dennis Prager, who would have been the last guy I thought would have been saying some of the bullshit he does. But with Prager, you, the left pushed against him. Google censored him. And I don't know what he even believes anymore, but sometimes you just believe you want to fight your enemies. There are two books. Normally when I read a book, and I like to read books to interview people, and I read your book, Mike Rothschild, and I recommend The Storm is Upon Us, and I liked you better after I read the book. Of course, it wasn't a biography, but I read a book about Megyn Kelly, her book. I didn't like her as much. She's a character. But the other book I read, Mike Flynn's book, Back before he was disgraced, and I thought, this is a weird guy. He talked about his Rhode Island upbringing, very religious, lifeguard. Anyway, it just gave me a weird feeling. And then Mike Flynn, he's big time in on this key thing, isn't he? Yeah, he's he has been a uh, one of the chief influencers in that movement. You know, he's hugely profited profited off it, and he's very savvy at saying the things that Q believers want want to hear, saying the things that you know Trump devotees want to hear, but but distancing himself just enough from it. Well, where when he's called on, he'll say, "Well, I don't know what that is. That's nothing. That's disinformation." But he's but he's saying all the things that you know that. He understands it, and he knows how to exploit it and how to use it to his advantage. Now, some of the attributes of Q, I thought, well, geez, this might just be normal Republican reaction without QAnon. For example, the harsh criticism of Joe Biden that he's way too old. He can't even put out a sentence without help. He's in his basement all the time. Hunter Biden is the worst person on earth. That's QAnon tenants, but... Seems to me that that would have been the kind of thing that could have been said 30 years ago uh, with a similarly older president. Oh, sure. I, you know, I think that so much of QAnon, especially the early posts, you know, that hatred of Hillary Clinton, that's been around for decades. You know, right. the 
conspiracy theories about um, George Soros. I mean, that that starts in the mid '90s with Larouche. You know, certainly the Obama stuff. I mean, there was nothing particularly novel about what Q was doing. It's not anything that you hadn't heard in a hundred other right wing media sources. Q is just the one who put it all together and did it in a way that was able to catch on with people who are not usually listening to traditional right wing media sources. Right, and and playing on the word novel, and you bring this out. That the whole dangerous part of QAnon, the reason they had gallows there January 6th and all this talk about hanging people on the part of Joe Oltman and uh, people who are going to hang Mike Pence, that comes from the Turner Diaries, a novel that was the basis uh, uh, for the order. The people who killed Allenberg were following that novel. And once again, it's a borrow. And... It's not enough that we're going to oppose our enemies. There are going to be military tribunals and summary executions. And that takes QAnon to a whole different level, doesn't it? Yeah, it turns it into an extremist movement. And of course, a lot of the traditional extremists, they really didn't want anything to do with QAnon. You know, if you read some of the uh, January 6th committee transcripts of interviews with members of the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers, they think QAnon's a joke. They think it's, you know, at best... Uh, just, just fake, and at worst, it's you know complete disinformation. But then these people get really lathered up to commit crimes, and then then they became they become extremely susceptible to radicalization into much more extremist movements like the Proud Boys. So there's a, there's a real continuum of conspiracy, of fear, of paranoia, and these groups are all very good at borrowing from each other, exploiting each other. And, it, you know, it's really become one of these defining things in American life right now. That's what I hate about QAnon, the way they take advantage of people. They take their money, they rob them of family relations, and they really go after people who are the weakest, right? Yeah. Somebody has a disorder, maybe ADHD that they're growing out of, or maybe they're going through a depression. I think about Tina Peters, uh, who seems like she was a normal religious person in Mesa, Colorado. And then her son, who she had to love dearly, he died in a parachuting accident, part of a military show in New York. And she's looking for something. Apparently her marriage fell apart. She found QAnon. She found Ron Watkins. Tell us what you know about Ron Watkins and Tina Peters. So Ron Watkins really is this this central figure of, of of QAnon. And of course, he is linked with Tina Peters and all this election stuff. Uh, you know, these are people who are willing to risk prison because they thought that the election had been stolen from Trump. And they're they're doing it because they know that people like Ron Watkins will sort of blast this stuff out to bigger followings. He was the administrator of 8chan and, and one of the likely suspects for having made most of the Q drops. You know, we don't know for 100% certain, but certainly his writing style, you know, if you read his tweets, is, is almost identical to Q's writing style. Um, you know, they would, they would, you know, Q was able to post on the rebuilt version of 8chan uh, before anybody else was, and there's really no reason why that would happen unless it was Ron who was doing it. And Ron, when the election was over, Ron turned himself into an expert on election fraud. He was tweeting out the Dominion Voting Systems Manual, and he was talking about all of these technical things. He didn't know anything about this, but he wrote about it enough in a way that seemed like he was an expert, where he was able to get FaceTime with with a bunch of media outlets who were just desperate for stolen election content. 
And then he gets Trump retweeting him. So he turns himself into a celebrity just by working at it really hard in this area that he knows people are going to fall into. You know, he's another one of these guys who he's just he's not as dumb as he seems. No, and he's the guy who uh, started it against Dominion and then a Colorado wannabe, Joe Altman, he latches onto it and he tries to pump up his podcast, which I had never heard of and I'm sort of in the industry. But then all of a sudden, Randy Corcoran, who I did know, had him on KNUS and he brings him to the Peter Boyle show for two softball interviews. Meanwhile, Jenna Ellis is going on the other branch of Denver Trump Radio, Dan Kaplan's show, yelling, stop this deal. This is all a week after the election. And together, it started the big lie that may ruin America yet. I mean, it's it had a lot of roots in Colorado. And- yeah, yeah, the, yeah, there's a lot of convergence there. It's funny how there's certain states that tend to be major convergences of these things. Colorado is one, Arizona is another one, where just a lot of people are in in that state, involved in radio and politics in that state, sort of got involved in these movements. It's really interesting. I don't know if anyone's really studied that. Right, and we used to watch Sydney. Well, I would listen to Sydney Powell on my colleague's shows for years talking about the deep state and creepy stuff, but she got together with Randy Corcoran to put affidavits together for Altman. And as you discuss, it's Donald Trump who eventually lashes onto it and they demonize Eric Coomer, who's an executive at Denver-based Dominion Voting and made Eric Coomer's life miserable. You know what I just realized? Maybe you did before. Eric Coomer testified in Fulton County. Did you know that? I I actually did not know that. I just heard that this morning on a podcast so um, Fonnie Willis is aware of what happened in Denver to uh, Coomer. It, it's just fascinating. Another guy with a bit of a Denver connection because he was here for the Jean Benet Ramsey uh, case to a degree representing uh, John and Patsy Ramsey. And he also represented the alleged victim of the late Kobe Bryant. And I'm talking about Lynn Wood. Sure. So he used to be a reputable attorney. I've read up on him. Did you read that article where he started haranguing his law partners with late night emails? Oh, yeah. About oh, how, yeah. What happened to that guy? Explain to everybody. Well, you know, I, I certainly can't say clinically what happened to him, but this is another guy who got just pulled into this world. And there's a lot of media adulation and a lot of money. And I think it it sort of turns you into something else. And, you know, I, I, I know other people who, who've known Lynn Wood, and they said he wasn't always like this. You know, he's a little off kilter, but he wasn't not like this. And, you know, you read his, his telegram feed and, you, you know, you read some of these public statements and there's clearly something off with him. But it's like, you know, how is it distinguishable from, the, you know, the rest of the people in this world? I'll tell you, I also once had an opportunity to interview Roger Stone. He plays QAnon for all it's worth, right? Sure. And he has sure. he has those Russian connections. So sure. again, I don't want to be a conspiracy theory freak. Yeah. Let me ask you this about QAnon: Have they now gotten political about abortion? All of a sudden, I mean, I guess that ties in with evangelical Christianity. But is that part of being QAnon? You need to be uh, anti-abortion. Well, I think it it comes hand in hand with that 
you know, that political persuasion. I don't know that there's any Q drops that are specifically about it. And I don't know that Q promoters have really talked about it much, but it's definitely one of those things where you're probably not going to be pro-choice and a major QAnon influencer. Um, first of all, this is probably not the, the media that you're plugged into, but you're also just, you know, you got to know your audience and, you know, if they have any pro-choice tendencies, they're not sharing them with their, with the general public. The most frightening thing about your book is this American phenomenon has taken off worldwide. You would think that a cult kind of based on Donald Trump would not be that popular around the world, but it is. Tell everybody about it. Yeah, it's it's really popular. Uh, QAnon has has had you know adherence in the UK and Australia, Germany, France, Brazil had a uh, Brazil had a big QAnon community. Japan had a big QAnon community. It really appeals to the sort of anti-authority, anti-government. You can't tell us what to do kind of feelings that that most people have. You know, most people, you know, at some point are going to rebel against something that they're told. And Q is very good at at exploiting that. You know, they'll sort of drop a lot of the the more American references, you know, things about the Senate and the Supreme Court. But it really exploits the kind of, you know, anti-expertise, especially anti-lockdown. Q grew hugely around the world during the lockdown because it was just people who didn't want to be told what to do. Right. I get a kick out of the fact that librarians are quitting now because they get harassed so much. And who are they getting harassed by? By the uneducated. But what really bothers me are the educated people who get behind this shit. I'm sorry to use bad language, but Michelle Malkin, another Colorado resident, really pisses me off. I knew her back in the day, and she's got intelligence. And my God... uh, the rabbit hole she's gone down, you write about it in the book. She's a, a defendant getting sued by Eric Coomer. Sure. And Michelle Malkin has also traded in anti-Semitism. I confronted her on my podcast. She ended up hanging up on me. <laughs> uh, tell me about Michelle Malkin and QAnon. Well, I don't know that she's ever explicitly endorsed it. And, you know, a lot of these figures really haven't. But they will have on the influencers in QAnon. They'll pay lip service to the ideas. They'll talk about the deep state and the the elite trafficking and, you know, Biden being the fake president. They don't necessarily need to be talking about Q hashtags or Q drops to lend their support to something because they don't just outright say, well, this is crazy. All of this stuff is ridiculous. I don't want anything to do with this. You know, I can I can be a conservative and think people should get vaccinated. No, they're not going to do that. That that's that's just off the gimmick for people like Michelle Malkin or Dennis Prager or any of these people. They they know who their audience is and they they know how to keep the the money and the ratings flowing in. So, you know, somebody like her, she's not going to openly endorse QAnon, but she's never going to say anything negative about it. But she did openly endorse Nick Fuentes, a guy who yes. dined at Mar-a-Lago with Donald yep. Trump. And that yep. disgusted me that she yeah. became friends with Fuentes and the Groypers. And that's what I confronted her on. And that's the way I want to end my great visit with you. Back to the Jewish part. You don't pull any punches. QAnon is anti-Semitic. Tell everybody why it is and how they break bread with the fellow anti-Semites who are part of January 6th. 
Sure. So the, you know, just beyond all of the anti-Semitism, all of the Jew baiting in these groups and all the open admiration for Adolf Hitler that you see with a lot of these far-right people like Fuentes, Q themselves are extremely anti-Semitic. If you go through the body of the, the posts by Q, they're full of conspiracy theories about George Soros, about the Rothschilds, about Jewish banking, Jewish money. One of the Q drops is this hideously anti-Semitic cartoon that was pulled straight from 8chan. The, you know, there is no denying whatsoever that this movement is is absolutely explicitly anti-Semitic, but also trades on anti-Semitic tropes that have been around for millennia in some cases. It's just sad. You're such a good speaker. Do you get mm. ever invited on to talk radio shows? Would you go on if you were asked to educate um, people about QAnon? You know, I've uh, I've gotten I got an invite from Glenn Beck's people once, and I was like, no, I'm I'm not going to do that. This is a guy who has been, right. you know, just a hugely prolific spreader of conspiracy theories, and I just I don't want to legitimize this in any way. I don't really want to talk to these people because I know what they're looking for. I know they're looking for a you know a liberal, a woke, progressive that they can beat up on, and I'm just not going to be that person. Uh, you know, their audience doesn't want to hear what I have to say. A lot of people do hear want to hear what I have to say, but it's not going to be that audience. The beautiful part of your book is you address it to people who have this in their family, how to approach it, how to try to help somebody away from this destructive way of thinking. And your advice includes don't argue with people like this. And I guess that's part of your answer there, right? I'm not going to yeah. debate Glenn Beck about the deep state or whatever, right? It's right. It's just not fruitful. Well, I, I think you make a lot of good decisions. I can't mm. wait for your next book. Give another plug for where people can buy your book, The Storm is Upon Us, How QAnon Became a Movement, Cult, and Conspiracy Theory of Everything, Mike Rothschild. Where should people buy it? Can I also, I bought the book, and I also got the Audible version, and you had one of my favorite narrators. I forget oh, that guy's cool. name. But. Yeah, that's, yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, he did a great job. Um, he was, he was uh, sending me messages on Twitter asking me how to pronounce certain things. So, that was, yeah, it was really cool. Um, you can, yeah, you can get The Storm is Upon Us, uh, hardcover, ebook, audiobook. You can get it uh, really anywhere books are sold, you know, bookshop.org, your local bookstore, Amazon. Amazon, and you can also pre-order my next book, Jewish Space Lasers. That's going to be out in September. Are you going to give a cut to Marjorie Taylor Greene? <laughs> I uh, people have jokes. I should send her an autographed copy, or I should, you know, ask her for a blurb. <laughs> well, that's the way the rest of my life is going to shape up. It's a battle between Mike Rothschild and Marjorie Taylor Greene. <laughs> I hope your side wins. Uh, me too. All right, thanks, Mike. <laughs> thanks. Take sure. good care. Bye bye. Yeah. Bye bye. Michael Bailey, a friend, a lawyer, a sponsor. Tell everybody how you bring peace of mind to their life. So by setting up your estate plan, you know what's going to happen to your stuff when you die. You know where it's going to go, you know who's going to get it. We've got everything in place so we're not running to a court to try to get 
guardianship and conservatorship as quickly as possible. But then it's an orderly proceeding of things. So, you know, there's already enough chaos with the medical emergency, but the legal part of it and who can make decisions is all outlined, it's all set up. So there's, it's like the, the smooth transition of power. That's cool because you can avoid so many problems by having a medical power of attorney and discussing it with a smart guy like Michael Bailey because who should have this? It's probably somebody close. Who do you trust most among your children to make that call? These are the hard and good questions that you ask every day, right, Michael? Right, and if you ask them beforehand, when you're not in the middle of a crisis, then when a crisis hits, we're not trying to do crisis management and medical emergency and everything else. We're going, okay, we've got a smooth transition of power here. We've got a smooth who's in charge, and we can have that all flow so that we can focus on the care. There are so many things in life that you can fill out a form and save yourself money, save yourself heartache. Some people die out of nowhere quickly, but more often you get sick, you have medical difficulties, so it all goes together. But your system works, it works beautifully. What is the best way to contact you these days? Best way, uh, you can give me a call. My phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. Or you can go online to michaelbaileylawllc.com. And there is a an appointment page on my website that you can use. So either way is fine. Thanks, Michael. Troubadour, I've never seen you so engrossed like that. Tell everybody what you are doing. Well, I'm I'm perusing a book that you just put in my hands, Craig. Yes. Do tell. What's the title? The Storm is Upon Us. It's a pretty dramatic title. Who's it by? Mike Rothschild. Gosh, he was a great guest. What do you want to know about QAnon? I can tell you. How? Okay, here's my question. How can you intercede with someone who's been bit by these conspiracy theories? Sometimes you can't, but other times you have to let it pass like a fever. You have to expose them to outside influences. Mike's got a great chapter on that. We did not get into it that much during the podcast interview, but Troubadour, you are going to love it. And you had the perfect song this week because... The thing that made QAnon really grow was COVID-19 and the pandemic. People were isolated. They were frightened. They needed some hope. QAnon is hopium. And their big hope is Donald Trump sent here by our creator to solve our problems by bringing people to justice, military tribunals followed by swift hanging by, you know, that form of execution. That's what we saw play out on January 6th, and people kind of laughed it off, but that was serious as a heart attack, or I thought so. How about you? No, nothing to laugh at, but if they think it's our creator that brought Trump to us, then they're vastly underestimating our creator. Ain't that the case? And we talk about the religious component, all of that, but... Even since I talked to Mike Rothschild, Vladimir Putin has been indicted by the International Criminal Court. That's really something, to indict the head of a member 
nation of the United Nations, not just any nation, on the General Security Council. This is a big step, Dave Gunders. Let's hear about that. So, so Craig, you said indicted, not convicted, right? Right. So what happens now? Is there... Is He's subject tr- to arrest well, and prosecution. And this is tr- the charging document. And you know what it is? It's the kidnapping of these Ukrainian kids, repatriating them to Russia, robbing them of their identity. It's it's some evil, awful stuff to steal children. Is that the specific charge? Yes. So aren't there aren't there multiple charges? No, they're, they're what about smart. bombings of hospitals? Well, that's bad and, too. Huh? That's it, bad too. But well, they've know. decided to focus on uh, this crime. I see. I see. Just like I'd like to see these prosecutors in New York, Georgia, U.S. district courts get focused, get together, bring it all down. And I think it's happening. You know why? Because they're getting ready in New York City for action next week. Security may be needed because New York may be going first. Going first. Yes, going... against Donald Trump, okay. prosecuting him. Right. And so for Stormy Daniels plus plus I hope they have a lot more than Stormy Daniels. So it's another reading into the storm is upon yes. us. Yes, and you know what else is happening next week? Speaking of the storm upon us, guess who's going to Moscow? Who's going to Moscow? She. Who? President Xi of oh. China. I mean he is going in person. Right. Oh. To meet with Putin. And is that good? Or bad for us, the West? Um, how do you feel like uh, living under Chinese rule? Well, uh, that's, that would be bad. China put out an initiative that I think Putin is going to say, hey, this sounds great. It's called the China Global Civilization Initiative. And it's got a lot of principles, but I could sum it up this way, which is there's too much fighting. We need to get together before we blow everybody up. And part of the problem is the United States, and it's hard to say that's not true with the QAnon stuff you and I are talking about right now. And January 6th, and watch this, Ron DeSantis come out for Putin saying, yeah, it's just a territorial dispute. It's like Neville Chamberlain. The whole Republican Party is gone. When DeSantis is saying, he, he's asked, well, Trump is ripping you. What do you have to react? He said, I'm not going to respond. All you guys want is controversy. Meanwhile, I'm in Florida busy fighting my hardest against Joe Biden. What? Can you believe a guy would say that? A governor? He's our president. Right. Yeah. No, wait, getting back to she. No, though, no I, but that's how divided we are. No, I know. Yeah. And that's what she sees, and he, so, he's going to Moscow. So is he going to Moscow? Now, could, when I said, is it good or bad, I mean, could he be could he be trying to uh, negotiate some kind of... Could be. Truce? Some kind could of... Could be, because yeah. there are reports he wants to talk to Zelensky afterwards. Oh, well, wouldn't that be great? Right, but what do you They're... say to a guy who's kidnapping children from one country and stealing them? What, how do you talk to a guy like that? Well, you you can talk to him like we talk to many, many leaders who are, you know... Who, you know what are, happens? Yeah. Who, who, who are um, guilty of, you know, civil rights, all kinds of civil civil rights 
uh, violations, right, right? Right. You talk to them. Yes. And Putin's going to say, I'll tell you what, let's not talk about that. We won't talk about the Uyghurs and how you treat them in China. Right. I don't know if that's going to, if that'll come up, but uh, it's interesting that, uh, that she would go there. And then it's, and then it's, I think it's hopeful that he would meet with Zelensky. Right. And maybe she is he, more stable than well, uh, Donald Trump. I, I'll take anybody over Trump right now. Trump put out a video today where he said, Russia's really not our threat. You know what is? China. No, the deep state. Joe Biden and uh, the Marxists within. It's not China or Russia. It's those damn Democrats. He seriously is talking this way. Because he's about to be indicted. And he's going to say, you know why you can't trust these prosecutors? Because they're damn Democrats. I wrote about it in the Colorado Sun. Prosecutors get used to the term prosecutorial misconduct. You know, if you're prosecuting, people don't want to go to jail. Defense lawyers don't like to lose. So you get that bandied about. But these personal attacks, including on family members, that's new. That's Trumpian. He's calling... Uh, Bragg, Alvin Bragg, the new DA in, Ma- in Manhattan. You know why Bragg is doing it? Because he's a racist. Right, right. Bonnie Willis in Atlanta, she's going to charge Trump because she's a racist. No, wait, what happened to the old DA, the DA in New York? The he woman. got, uh, no, it was no. Cy Vance, son of Cyrus Vance, the cabinet secretary. The woman, I'm not sure who you were thinking of. No, the one who's been, the one who who was... Um, oh, that's the Attorney General. Oh, the Attorney General. Okay. Tisha okay. James. Okay. Right, right, right. She's Thank going you. after civil charges. But okay. she is cooperating with Bragg. Okay. Anyway, he calls them racist, which is kind of a cue to cue a non-followers that Bragg is a worthy target. And can you see why our adversaries are maybe looking at this as a good time to strike or make, you know, what do they call it? Global Civilization Initiative. Who, who came up with that one? Is that is that that's the Chinese? That's oh, oh, the that's, Chinese. Right, right. It's this global citizenship that may be coming. I hope not in my lifetime. But holy cow! The way our politics is going is just a little disturbing. You know what's not disturbing? Your song, Impossible Happiness. I mean, QAnon was kind of accelerated by the pandemic, but I think that's the problem, is that with what's going on in the world right now, people want a solution. And your song kind of has those wild my brain is running wild kind of emotions to it. Right. Yeah. Well, the idea is that we're in, we're in such a, such a, a wild time, but also, you know, a hateful time, right? Politically speaking, but also that coupled with, you know, climate change and the wildfires right. and the droughts and, and that it's a, overall there's, it feels very threatening. Impossible happiness is basically asking the question, you know, how how can we even be happy in light of everything that's going on? How can you find simple happiness in, in your own home when you know about everything, you know, when all of these things are happening? And at times during this song, you sing it kind of like Boris Karloff. It's a scary movie. You know, 
<laughs> did you notice that about yourself? I didn't. I didn't. Yeah. And, and, and you know what? One of your good solutions was to try to achieve happiness. It was a road that many people have gone down. What a great column. I forget the name of the Colorado Sun author who wrote a column on, and we're recording on St. Patrick's Day, uh, about her giving up drinking. And and in your song, you say, I'm going to pour myself a double. Right. Right. There's nobody here to impress. That I, I wrote that song during the pandemic. And, right. uh, you know, someone coming back to their apartment, and it's like, what else, what else is there to do? I'm going to drink. <laughs> because <laughs> you know? the world is in trouble. Yeah, because the world's in trouble. I don't want to face it, you know. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm just going to have a double. And you it's, know what? You know why you would not be subject to QAnon? For many reasons, Craig. But you don't spend enough time online. Well, that, I think, is positive. And when you talked about earlier, what's the best... How can you deal with this? What kind of questions can we ask uh, in light of this book, The Storm Upon Us? Or what, what can we do about it, right? And that's what you and I have talked about. It's like, get off your phone, get off your screen, and you know, just don't subject yourself to these, to these uh, tirades. Algorithms. Yeah, yeah. And the tirades of, of crazy people, of paranoid people. No, I may be paranoid. Do you remember how to spell she, president? Of it's China, XI, right? XI, yeah. And what's another thing that ends in I that's going to change the world? And it's got one other letter before it, AI. Very true. Okay, have you heard about Chad GPT four? You know, I thought we were just talking about the newest in a matter of weeks ago. Is when I first you showed me. I know. Hey, Dave, check this out. You can ask this this AI to. Uh, to write a uh, an essay in the in in the style of Shakespeare or in the style of Bruce Springsteen. ChatGPT four can now look at an image and describe it better than most humans ever could, and within seconds. Look at an image like a, yes, like a what like a pastoral setting or like a me face. Like taking or... a picture of you, Dave Gunner's right. in the studio with Matt behind him, and right. whatever. Right. It. it it has that capacity. Young, young, you look good tonight. Healthy. Yes, the Shabbat. Intelligent looking. Day. <laughs> that's why you wouldn't go for QAnon, and that's a big part of it too. It's uneducated people. You do have an MBA. Well, that from doesn't. CU. That uh, that's not. I don't think that's helping too much in my uh, re reluctance to go to where the Q people go. No, I think a lot of it has to do with self. Uh, with really, with with self image. Um, and, uh, you know, whether you have a central core of who you are, when you don't, you can easily be swayed. But that's been true of, you know, many movements and cults throughout history. It's, it's the people who don't have a sense of who they are, people who weren't loved, right, who feel lost and alone. Yes. Easily swayed by, by these, uh, you know, the, by, the, by these, uh, you know, evildoers. Right. Tina Peters. She lost her son. Horrible air disaster over New York. Military display, parachute didn't open, falls to his death. She's vulnerable to something like QAnon. Here's another reason maybe you aren't. Have you ever, are you now or have you ever been a member of 
an evangelical Christian church. Well, you know darn well that I'd be the last person that would join an evangelical church. Oh, why do you say that? Uh, why? Yes. I'm Jewish, for one. Yes. And I, uh, I don't. Uh, I, I don't, mean, the last maybe. You know, I don't follow a, the, the, the. The Satan Club would be, right. you know, worse. It wouldn't be the last place you would ever join. Well, and the idea that 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 God Himself or herself actually wrote the Bible, right? Actually mm-hmm. created the 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 you know this. What are you this, telling this book for us? Um, is to me something that is I just, is is incredible. I don't believe it. Um, it was written by scribes and it's you know, our rabbis, right? You know, so and evangelicals, so, but evangelicals believe Torah. in the literal. Uh, well, the, we've had Jews word. like that too, and that's which, by the way, is what causes a lot of problems. A, a yes. Lot of, problems say with with um, same-sex marriage and those kinds of things i mean you have a lot of decent oh my God. You have a lot of uh, decent people jenna ellis put out a tweet with uh, chasten and pete Buttigieg and their baby and said these are two sexual perverts who should be condemned well it's like um she is QAnon. Yeah, i i think yeah. she might be that far gone to really believe in this but there's stuff. but there's but there's more there's um there's more you know sage individuals who believe that it's an abomination yes. in the bible it's an abomination and they follow the word of the bible and therefore even though these are pretty straight thinking people in many respects so is shellfish but oh my god lobster is delicious kosher lobster is the best <laughs> where do you find that <laughs> not around here right no it's uh it, it's, uh, I think religion is mixed up in it. Of course. QAnon is part religion, part cult, part psyop, part game theory. I uh, mean, it's, these people try to figure out what it really means, but isn't that what we try to do with Torah or the Talmud or the New Testament? Right, but the game theory, the religion, these are, it's all symptoms, Craig. Not causes, they're, they're symptoms Unhinged minds, you know, that's the core. That's the core behind, I think, followers of these kinds of conspiracy theories. People who are not grounded and they'll believe anything. It's like a sci-fi movie. They, they've they've uh, thrown themselves in to this altered reality and anything goes, right? Well, it helps to have an education, but it also helps, like I said, to have a, a sense of who you are in the world. You know what would help is if uh, respected people stood up to this crap. Honestly, that's my biggest disappointment with my former colleagues. They won't even address it. They won't talk about Jen Ellis. They never will talk about QAnon. I asked Mike Rothschild, are you invited on anybody's show? He said, Glenn Beck invited me, but I'm not going to go on to his show but if somebody like George Brockler or Dan Kaplis really wanted to know about QAnon, Peter Boyles claims he's reading a book on QAnon. He does the Saturday show, and I monitor it. And Boyles really gave birth to QAnon. What do you think is a conspiracy theory that really started QAnon as much as anything? It started the, the, Donald Trump. Too. Right, the Dominion. You're talking about the Dominion. No, no, the, way back before that, before Donald Trump was president. What conspiracy? Birthing, the the, the birthing. birther. Yeah. Peter Boyles, Donald That's Trump. That's what I remember looking at that. I remember 
I remember looking at Trump's statements and thinking, man, this guy's this guy's really off the rails. And I also remember thinking at the same time, and he's probably going to want to be president because it's the kind of thing right. that, that's done pur- very purposely, right? Purposefully. Right. Um, and I can tell you they took a few interesting facts, kind of like uh, uh, a National Enquirer story. And then they embellish on it. Yeah. Okay, he had this mentor who was a communist. Now he's the father and he was born in Kenya. And we're going to make more out of it, even though there was a birth announcement in the Honolulu paper contemporaneous with his birth. Okay? Right. Yeah. But they, it doesn't stop their conspiracy theory or Peter Boyle's making a fortune off of it and falling in love with Donald Trump because he saw a mirror image, but now he backed away. You know who else is backed away because of litigation and they don't want to get sued? The guy who started Q, Ron Watkins. He's kind of disappeared and they're left without their Q drops. It's really pretty fascinating, but it's gotten away from them. And now it's all MAGA. Now it's GOP, it's Fox News. And one orthodoxy of this movement is... They don't regard Putin as that bad. Zelensky is somehow the bad guy or the crisis actor. Right. And it's sickening, but Ron DeSantis said as much this week. And he wants the QAnon vote too. Right. Well, I don't know. I see it like madness. I see it like a fervor, a fever. But I, I have a question. Why didn't Rothschild, the author of this book, why didn't he take the opportunity to go visit with and sit down and talk with Glenn Beck and and make his points to his listeners. Because one of the things that he states, because you asked how do you deal with it with a family member or a friend who gets lost in this, is you never debate the actual subject. For example, to debate the Dominion cheating. And that was a QAnon thing too. And, and it, it, it was purely Ron Watkins, dominionized the vote, Trump retweeted it. And, and, and the bottom line is that uh, QAnon has been exposed. And, and at some point, um, people are, need to wise up to the threat that it represents. January 6th did it. Glenn Beck, if you would talk to him, he'd make his points, you'd make yours. It's like debating Building 7 on 9-11. What really caused it to fall down? It's like debating uh, vaccines, although now there is a good debate about that. It's like debating the election with them. They'll say, well, what about this uh, expert or that expert? Right. And, and, And you just don't have the time to argue with them, and they'll never give an inch on any of that. No, that's that's for sure. You have, yeah, to, you have yeah. to find a thread. He makes the point. You fi- have to find a thread where the person thinks they've gone too far, like that JFK Jr. is really alive and will be VP next time Trump runs. Have you heard that one? Boy, there's so many of them. Right. Yeah, but if, yeah. you, if you get that one and somebody's kind of Q-friendly, but you say, hey, did you know this JFK stuff? Do you really believe that? And they'll go, well, no, I don't believe that. And then you say, well, let's see where that came from. And you pull on that thread <laughs> until that unravels. Right. And 
It's like pulling on a scarf, like a magician scarf. That right. So that's <laughs> so that's the advice it. to Mike Rothschild. But maybe he should have gone on Glenn Beck. Who knows? But the right. other a thing voice is, of reason. he's a bit of a target because of all of this. And so, do you make yourself much more of a target by going on their media? Well, he wrote a book, didn't he? He did. He did, and. It's a great interview. He's a great resource. Good for him. You know him. what his next book's about? Tell me. The Rothschilds. He's oh, okay. not related. Right. But uh, it's called Jewish Space Lasers. Oh, that's... And it's about Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's one he of the He has a flair for, for, for titles. The guy's a great writer. Yeah. It's entertaining. You know, I like this job because I like to read entertaining books, and that's the kind of author I have on. So impossible happiness. What more can you tell us about it? Do you give a prescription? Is there a way to be a happy guy? You are. And before well, yeah. AI writes all the music. Right. I'm a happy guy. And then there's a side of me that feels a little guilty for being happy. In these times, you can actually guilty. be guilty for being happy. Don't be guilty. All right. You just had a great visit with your father. He's doing yes, well. I did. Yes, He's the my star, father. I think, episode 14. I just visit. My wife and I went out to see Dad, and Rachel came, my younger daughter, and we had a great visit. You are the troubadour. You find happiness by writing beautiful songs like Impossible Happiness by our troubadour, Dave Gunder. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom, Craig. Happiness, impossible, happiness, impossible, happiness, impossible, 
myself a double Nobody here I need to impress Outside there's a world in trouble Impossible Happiness Impossible Happiness Impossible During the pandemic and otherwise, a lot of people have so much affection for their pets. That must come up all the time. What's going to happen to Scruffy? What can you tell us about that, Michael Bailey? What you can do is create a pet trust in Colorado. You put money into trust, and then that money is available and earmarked to care for the dog. And it can last the lifetime of the dog or 21 years, whichever is shorter. And then when the time frame for the trust is up, you can dictate who gets whatever leftover money or I have several clients who will leave it to some sort of animal shelter or animal rescue to be able to care for other animals. How cool is that? You can go to Mike Bailey's office and he has offices all over and you could meet at your home, whatever. I love the way you practice law. You've kept it going for a long time. Tell everybody how they can make you their lawyer. So my phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. They can call me or they can go online to mobileestateplanning.com. And there's a link there where you can schedule an appointment with me. Okay, here's the thing. You've been hurt. Maybe, God forbid, someone's been killed. You don't know what to do. If it happened in Colorado, please get a hold of me. Check out my website, craigscoloradolaw.com. craigscoloradolaw.com because I have four decades of experience. Sadly, I've helped a lot of people who have been hurt terribly through no fault of their own. 303-734-7156. Please call Craig. Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. 303-734-7156. Hey, that's a great song and a great discussion with Dave Gunders, our troubadour. And then Mike Rothschild, what a great resource you are. You know a lot about an important topic, QAnon. That's something you don't hear every day, especially not out of a Colorado microphone. Glad to bring it to you. Tell a friend, subscribe. Five stars sure is nice. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.